Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode. I have a new book coming out. Oh, yeah. I don't know exactly when, but it's all written. It's laid out. We're working on some final tweaks on the cover and getting it to the printer. But I wanted all of our podcast listeners to be aware in advance that this new book is coming out. It is called, drumroll please. How do I do a drumroll? <laughs> I'm not a drummer and I'm sitting at a microphone. So can you do a drumroll? <laughs> okay, here's the title of the book. It's called Eating the Sunrise. And I got that title from a student who once said to me, Christopher, I, he was so mesmerized by the beauty of a sunrise. He said, Christopher, I don't just want to behold the sunrise. I want to take it in. I want to eat it. And I, I could so relate to that idea of wanting to take beauty in, wanting to eat beauty. So that's the main title, the subtitle, Eating the Sunrise, Meditations on Liturgy, and our hunger for beauty. So eating the liturgy, eating the liturgy, <laughs> eating, <laughs> eating the sunrise is also an apt image of what we're doing in the mass, in the liturgy. Because the bridegroom, there the sun says, the sun comes forth like a bridegroom from his tent. That's why the church traditionally prays her liturgy towards the rising sun, towards the east because the liturgy is meant to orient the bride to the coming of the bridegroom. That's what the liturgy is. That's what our yearning and hunger for beauty is. We're looking to enter in, not just to see it, not just to behold it, but to take it into ourselves. And that's what we do in the Mass. We are taking ultimate beauty into ourselves. So this book is a reflection on our attraction to beauty, our longing for beauty, and how every human being's yearning for beauty is fulfilled in the Mass. It's meant to be part of the call for Eucharistic revival, and I pray that it will serve that purpose. So keep your eyes peeled for future emails uh, about the book, future postings. We'll be talking more about the book on the podcast, especially as it gets ready for print, and we'll have a date of release for you in the not-too-distant future. That's awesome. And we'll keep you posted. I'm very excited about it. Me too. Long time in the making. I actually started writing it when uh, we were on lock lockdown during COVID. You yeah. may remember. Yep. Our first question is from a patron named Grace. Hello, Grace. Grace asks, how important do you think physical fitness is? I want to honor my body as God's temple by exercising and eating well, but this sometimes leads to thinking more about my physical appearance than I feel is necessary. I don't want to acquiesce to the culture's standard of bodily obsession, but I also want to be disciplined. How do I find balance that honors God? Grace, wow. I, I can tell you've you've been really pressing into this question, and it seems to me you already have the proper parameters. And those parameters, having parameters, proper parameters, are is always very important in any 
kind of dilemma or moral question. Uh, you are right to think I, I want to be properly disciplined, right? I don't want to be a glutton in terms of how I eat my eat my body, <laughs> in terms of how I treat my body in with regard to eating. And it's all fine and good to be, you know, interested in exercise and staying in shape. However, if that's one parameter on one side, the other is, just as you indicate, we are so influenced by an image-obsessed culture that tells us over and over and over again in a hammering kind of way, you are not lovable unless you look like this, you know, fill in the blank. And the blank that's going to be filled in is, of course, going to be some man or woman who, who has been through this exercise routine that makes them chiseled and fit and everything else fit in the sense that, that our fitness-obsessed culture would have us believe this is what makes you lovable. So we have to fight those lies. And as you're saying, you're recognizing in, in staying fit or wanting to exercise, wanting to eat well, you're, you're recognizing, yeah, I've been affected by these images, by these ideas, let's call them what they are, by these lies, or it takes a truth and twists it into a lie, right? The truth is we shouldn't be gluttons and we should want to take care of our bodies in a reasonable kind of way. For example, it may not be reasonable for a mother or a father who's tending to five kids under the age of seven to also be fitting time in to go to the gym, right? That may not be reasonable. So all of this within reason, right? The culture is unreasonable in its demands for fitness. It's, it's unreasonable in its dietary obsessions. And really the goal in so much of that is to, uh, you know, conform yourself to the idol of the idealized body that is held out to us in this world. Grace, here's where I believe a proper approach to the way you eat and the way you exercise, I believe a proper approach to both will flow from the realization, I am loved as I am. Even if you are out of shape, even if your body in no way conforms to the idealized image in our culture, you are loved. If you are eating in a certain way or exercising in a certain way in order to convince yourself that you're lovable, that is a, a wrong motivation. You're buying right into the lie. If you know that you are lovable as you are, as you are, then you can know that if you choose to exercise or if you choose to eat in a particular way, that you'll be doing so not to earn love, but from a more proper and more balanced perspective on health and fitness. Those would be my initial thoughts. Wendy, what are, what are yours? Yeah, I think those are wonderful um, reflections. I guess I would just think um, there is something good about being oriented toward um, honoring our bodies as God's temple and in that we respect the the ways that we both in our 
experience of our physical just living that we notice how we can honor our bodies, but also things we learn that's also, you know, from just our knowledge about health and um, wellness, that those things also inform how we honor our bodies. I also think that we need to be oriented toward making a gift of ourselves and the sense in which our eating and exercising would enable us to serve others or to be a greater gift is a good mm -hmm. question. And that ties so much into your comment, your example about um, parents who have, you know, a kind of physically taxing duties right. toward young children. Um, I'm also just thinking of something that um, St. Ignatius of Loyola said, um, that we shouldn't assume that health is a, a a goal for us if it's not what god wants for us right now that when we pray for health it should be with the attitude of if that's the way i can best mm. serve you and please you lord and if if sickness or weakness or some other thing that the culture might say is not desirable is going to draw us closer to the lord and our heavenly goal then we should desire what he desires for us. And he gave that very specific example of our physical wellness versus unwellness. And I think it's a good like way to just catch ourselves. Yeah, I like, like it. It's not just about looking a certain way to be loved, but believing that a certain experience is surely what God wants for us. And he just, he, he was just calling people to really, truly desire God's will first and not tell God what his will for us mm. is, but to have an openness of mind and heart to really desire his will for us and let that inform us and give us his peace. So Grace, I, I love what Wendy's saying here. Maybe a, a prayer for you, Grace, is, Lord, what is your will for my fitness? What is your will for the way I exercise? What is your will for the way I eat? And how can I eat and exercise in such a way that I will please you and become more of a gift to others? I mean, some people are called by God to be Olympic athletes, and that means a very specific program of fitness and diet. Uh, very few are called to that. I'm not called to that. Thank you, Lord. Um, that's not my calling, but some are called to that. So what is the calling that the Lord has for you to live out your vocation as a woman and to be a gift in love to others. And on that note, Grace, let me say thank you to you for being a gift to us as a patron. Your monthly contribution enables us to do the work we do here at the Theology of the Body Institute, and we are so grateful to you. And may I ask everybody out there who's not already a patron, would you please prayerfully consider becoming one. We're at a point in our growth as an institute where we are needing to make some new hires. We need to grow our staff to respond to the demands on our ministry, and we're not able to do that unless we are able to raise more capital. So we'd be so grateful if you are feeling that little nudge from the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. right now to become a patron. We'd be so grateful. Yes. Thank you. You can click the link in the show notes to learn more. Yes. Our next question is from a listener named Stacy. Hi, Stacy. If Satan has no body, how can he have 
offspring. In Genesis, it says God would, will put enmity between his offspring and Eve's. Stacy, I love your question, and I think it's confusing some words here. So I think we find an answer to your question in Jesus saying that the Pharisees, some of the Pharisees, in following the father of lies, he says, we know who your father is, or I know who your father is. Your father is the father of lies, right? Offspring here is not in the sense of biological generation, which is impossible, because Lucifer, as you point out, has no body. But those who follow in the ways of Lucifer, we can consider, as Jesus does, the offspring of the father of lies, right? I think that would be the right way to answer your question. You want to add anything here, Wendy? Just wondering if if sort of demons would fall in that category. Sometimes when I hear that prophecy, I sort of have a, a feeling, and I could be wrong. I'm happy for you to tell me no. Uh, but, you know, that it may in some ways refer to the the battle between Christ and the sort of the powers of darkness and that kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah, I think we can say just as we were saying that human beings who follow the ways of Lucifer are his offspring in mm -hmm. that sense, we can also say the angels who followed Lucifer use their free will to disobey God and follow Lucifer. We can say in that same sense they're his offspring, mm -hmm. although, of course, angels don't have the power of generation, so it's not a strict sense of offspring, but more an analogous sense of okay. the word offspring. Okay. I think if you press in Stacy, to the analogous sense of offspring, you'll be fine in, in understanding it. You're getting a little tripped up there by, by taking that word offspring in a literal sense, mm. and that's understandably tripping you up. Hope that's helpful. Our next question is from an anonymous listener. Hello, I'm a big fan of your podcast. I wanted to write in about something that's been stressing me out. I'm relatively new to the faith, as I did not grow up in a religious home. Christ drew me to him in 2021 at the age of 21, and wow. I'm getting baptized at Easter. Whoop, so whoop, whoop. she wrote this before Easter. Uh, so, so now you're baptized. Yes. You have been ontologically altered. Wonderful. When I was a teenager, I fell for the lie of gender, gender identity. Mm. I had experienced sexual violence when I was a preteen oh, girl. Mercy. And I wanted nothing more than to escape the body that I felt had made me a target. Mm. I blamed my body, and especially my larger breasts, for the negative attention boys and men paid me. The transgender community felt like it provided an answer that fit with how I felt. I could simply change my body and be free. When I was 18, I got a double mastectomy. Mm. I felt certain that I would never want to marry a man or have kids, and I desperately wanted to be seen as a human being and not a sex object, which is how the men and boys around me were seeing me. Mm. Mm. My initial feeling after the surgery was relief. Not too long after that, though, I realized that I couldn't escape womanhood, even by changing my body. As I've worked to reconnect with my body after years of dissociating from it, I've started to grieve more and more what I oh, lost, wow. parts of my healthy, God-given body. Your podcast has helped me with this recognition that my body was never wrong wow. because it's impossible for a body to be wrong. Wow. Last year, I met a man 
whom I love very deeply and am discerning marriage with. My experiences had led me to be afraid of men, so I thought I was not attracted to them until I met him. Now that I'm seriously considering a faithful marriage and opening my heart to the possibility of children, I'm grieving even more at the loss of my breasts. Mm. I feel so guilty for having gotten a mastectomy, and I'm worried that I will be a disappointment to him in our marital embrace. He does know about this and reassures me that he loves me for who I am, wow. not for what my body looks like. However, I'm still nervous that he will secretly feel disappointed. Additionally, so many Catholic articles talk about how important it is to breastfeed your children and the connection that it brings. And I'm worried that my connection with my future children, if that's God's plan for me, will be weaker because of my inability to breastfeed. Do you have any advice for me? Does TOB have anything to say about those who can't breastfeed? Thank you in advance. Bless you, bless you, bless you, dear sister. Mm-hmm. I just want to show reverence to all that you have suffered, uh, beginning with the way men treated your body, your beautiful feminine body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to to hold this questioner out and all that she has written in this extended question, I, I invite all of the listeners to pay attention to what she shared because mm-hmm. it's such a bright light on the gender confusion in our world today, especially among so many young women who are going through the same procedures that this person has been through. I'm absolutely convinced at the heart of this, one of the main driving forces of this increase in women wanting not to be women anymore is exactly what this person just said. She said, I wanted to be seen as a human being and not as a sex object. Mm -hmm. And she thought the solution, because her body was the object of these lustful looks and lustful treatment, she thought the solution was to change her body. The problem is not with her body, as she came to realize. The problem is, was with the way people were looking at her body, treating her body as a thing rather than as the beautiful revelation of the mystery of her person. It, it just illuminates, I thought, so powerfully that the, at the root of this gender confusion, this desire to escape, especially in young women, the desire to escape being a woman, at the root of it is lust, the lust of men. Lord, please, please open our eyes so we can see the true, the good, and the beautiful revealed through the human body. There are so many layers here. Uh, I want to, and Wendy, maybe you can help me keep track if I'm addressing them. Mm Mm-hmm. Because uh, you have the question in front of you, and and I do not. But I'm I'm recalling where she was saying uh, she's met this man who who loves her as she is. How did she say that? He um, let's see. He reassures me that he loves me for who I am, not for what my body looks like. Okay, okay. Let let's press into that. There's so many layers here. First of all, thank you, God, for this man, Mm -hmm. for this man who loves you, knowing what you've been through, and can, God willing, if you're called to be married, can kiss those scars. Mm -hmm. 
this is a, this man coming into your life, I believe he is sent from God to heal that wound that made you afraid of men to begin with. Thank you, God. There are good men out there. There are no perfect men out there other than Jesus, right? There is no perfect man other than Jesus. The number one ingredient in any relationship between men and women and all human relationships, the number one ingredient in a fallen world for human relationships is mercy, right? So he's not a perfect man, but he's a good man. He's a man who sees you rightly, and you expressed the concern, will it disappoint him or will it sadden him? Well, if it didn't sadden him, I would think there's something wrong in his own understanding, because something sad truly has happened, right? It is right for him to acknowledge something sad has happened, and so it would be right for him to be sad about that. It would right, be right for a man for, you know, let's take just another example. Suppose you were missing a leg. Suppose you're in some accident and you, you had to amputate your leg, right? Thank God for a man who would say, I'm going to marry you. I don't care that you're missing a leg. I love, I love you. You've been through this tragic experience. I'm going to love you there and love you through it. But there would still rightly be a sadness in his heart that you're missing a leg because you're meant to have a leg um, and you don't, or in that example. Analogously, we could say he's right to wish that you had breasts. He's right to, to desire that you hadn't been through such a tragic experience that you had a double mastectomy. That would be a, a proper sadness. But he's showing his love for you and saying, I love you there. You've been through something so painful that does not prevent me from loving you. Uh, I'm going to love you there. I'm going to love you through that, and we will, we will, we will grow together in and through that. But that doesn't remove the fact that it is a a sadness and a a tragedy. So together, I could imagine you working through that in a way that is healing, in a way that is redemptive, in a way that is honest in acknowledging the real tragedies, the real sadness both that you have as a woman in wanting to have children and not being able to breastfeed, and the sadness that he has in rightly desiring to rejoice in his wife's breasts, which she no longer has. So yes, there, there's a genuine sadness there. Nothing insurmountable with the grace of the Lord and the genuineness of your love for each other. It can be worked through. What about, um, she also says, does the theology of the body have anything to say about women who aren't able to breastfeed? Well, not directly, um, but it does give us principles for understanding how love in that situation might play itself out. Uh, there's a, a beautiful line in the theology of the body that I'm thinking of. It's towards the end of chapter 1 in part 1, the end of John Paul II's reflection on the original plan for man and woman, where he speaks of this line in the Bible that says, Blessed is the womb that bore him and the breasts from which he nursed. And that's the woman in the crowd who cries out to Jesus, who says that, Blessed is the womb that bore you, blessed are the breasts that you sucked. And he says, this, John Paul II says, this line is a eulogy to woman. 
It's an ode to woman. It's a a recognition of her special creativity and the special particular way she images God. And he says that this woman is the first person to fulfill the prophecy of Mary that all generations will call mm. me blessed. Right? So I share that line from the theology of the body as a way of inviting you to enter into a healing of your own heart. Those memories, those painful experiences you had that led you, understandably, to want to have a double mastectomy. I think part of your journey will be a healing of those memories. In fact, I know that's the Lord's will for you. It's the Lord's will for all of us that our painful memories would be healed, right? Mm -hmm. Between here and the beatific vision, all of our painful memories must come into the light of the Lord's healing, redeeming love. And that scripture, blessed is the womb that bore him, blessed are the breasts mm -hmm. from which Christ nursed. That line from the scripture, I believe, can play a key role in the healing of those memories, those painful, painful memories, where the way men treated you was like a curse. It was like the opposite of the blessing. The opposite of blessed are the breasts from which he nursed, right? It was more like cursed are you because you have these breasts that I want to use for my selfish gratification. And you felt, I believe, you felt deeply in your heart the weight of a kind of curse, the curse of lust, right? It's one of the impacts of fallen humanity is that our sexual drives have been inverted. The good news of redemption is that Christ came into the world to restore creation to the purity of its origins when man and woman were naked and felt no shame, right? There's another verse from Scripture that I believe can help heal those painful memories that you, you have experienced. Uh, blessed are, not only blessed are the, is the womb and blessed are the breasts, but the man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. I invite you to allow the Lord to take you into a meditation of that line of scripture as well, the nakedness without shame. It, it's an entry into a world where we can be seen and known in our nakedness without being treated as an object for someone's selfish gratification. And that will be very, very healing for your heart. So what are some other principles that the theology of the body, even though it doesn't address women who can't breastfeed specifically, what are some principles it lays out? It lays out the loving of the body as the revelation of the person. Mm -hmm. And our scars tell a story. Right? I have some pretty major scars on my body from a ski accident that I had some years ago. I, I broke my femur, and I had to have a metal rod stuck in there, and I have two big scars down my left side, one above my hip, one below my hip, and two scars down by my knee where they had to insert some screws. And over the, what's it been, seven years, eight years since that happened, 
it's been it's been an adjustment for me to see my body in the mirror bearing those scars uh that that it's not attractive you know when you look at it um just at the surface but it tells a story about my life it tells a story about a tragic experience i had a very painful experience i had and that's now part of my story and wendy you show me a real tenderness there Mm. Um, I still have certain pain in my hip and in my my femur from that accident on occasion. And sometimes it needs some good rub downs and massaging. And Wendy, you're very tender with me there. And, and I know you have a particular love for me there and even a love for those scars because they tell part of my life story. These scars that you now have on your chest tell part of your story and if you're called to to marry the man who will marry you and maybe it's this man he will be not that he will do it perfectly as i said earlier no man's perfect but he sounds like a good man Mm -hmm. and by god's grace he can learn to love the story love you through that story that your scars tell right? There's still a sadness in me that I had that tragic accident and broke my femur. Uh, I wish it hadn't happened. Uh, The Lord has used it for good, and I trust that the suffering I went through, the Lord will turn into glory. And that's the same promise here. Those scars are a testimony that the Lord came into the world to redeem us body and soul. And there is nothing, nothing we can possibly endure that is beyond the scope of the redemption that Christ won for us. That is the promise. That is the hope I want to hold out to you. Uh, That there is the real possibility that those scars telling the story that they tell can inspire in the man you marry a deeper, more sincere love yep this is this is such a a powerful story unfolding in your life i there's so many elements of it that just are kind of like a a smiling through tears kind of Mm. you know just bittersweet hope in suffering kind of story that i just am thanking the lord thanking him for his love and the way he knows you and mm. was able to, as you say, he he drew you to himself. Mm. Uh, it's so, just that line in itself is so beautiful to hear from a, a young woman who says she wasn't raised in any faith to feel that clarity, that Christ is real, that he cares about you and drew you to himself um is is really powerful and i know so many of our listeners are so grateful that you shared these works of grace um in sharing your question so i just am thanking the lord um, on behalf of our listeners for his goodness the the way this inspires me and others to trust him to believe Um, What Mary said in her Magnificat, 
with him all things are possible, you know, that he is faithful to those who trust in him. So, so beautiful. Um, and I, I really loved, um, Christopher, all your reflections on um, just the, the journey thus far and the, uh, the tender love of the Lord and how, um, you know, the healing that is to come and the sense of hope about that as um, her journey continues to unfold with the Lord. Um, I know that when a person is baptized, that every sin is forgiven in that <laughs> cleansing water of baptism. Woo. So there is, um, even as you were saying, Christopher, how you know, understandable it is that in her pain she sought this surgery, that to, to claim the power of your baptism in times of doubt or feeling yes. guilty is so important to, to remember it. And it's such a recent memory for you. So many of us are kind of, you know, trying to imagine it. You really remember it, that the power of that sacrament that is utterly cleansing, um, that I just encourage you to, to remind yourself of that as a, as a response to doubts about, um, how much the Lord loves you and can bring good out of even uh, anything because he's that good. Amen. Um, and then just as far as your bonding with children, I just want to speak about that just briefly because I, I, I know like it is true. Like there's a, there's something good in the mother infant relationship that, comes through breastfeeding. God designed it that way, you know, so that it is good that that's affirmed. And you see that in Catholic authors, that they're affirming that goodness. And maybe in our culture, people need encouragement because of other pressures on them. But for a person who can't breastfeed, then suddenly that can be a source of feeling inadequate and maybe fearful um, about, you know, how will my children and my motherhood be impacted by our situation, by your situation. So I do want to say that there was something just like a truth that you learned from the Lord when you said, I, I, I couldn't escape womanhood even by changing my body. Mm. You know, you are, as a woman, you are gifted with this natural motherhood that hasn't been taken from you, that as you would welcome children, whether you are able to bear children, whether you adopt children, that is part of your makeup to have a, a sensitive and intuitive response to the needs of children. And that is part of what we embody with our breasts, but it's, it's still in you. I want to just say that, that that instinctive um, tenderness toward the needs of a weak child is what that is embodied by the breasts and the sense of providing comfort, providing good nourishment. All of that has not been taken away. So I just want to just thank the Lord that we live in a time where the means to feed infants will be uh, available to you, whether it's through formula or donated breast milk, there are different options, but, but that their, their physical needs will be met, but that 
connection, that emotional bonding um, is something that you will experience. And I just want to keep saying that because I think you do need to hear it. You will experience that. And so many women could share that with you who, for various reasons, also weren't able to breastfeed their children. Or maybe it's just simply because they're they adopted children and the physical reality of breastfeeding wasn't available to them. So I really do want to encourage you that deeper sense of the, the inner spiritual and emotional realities of motherhood um, have not been harmed by that surgery. And I want you to know that. I've had, as you've been speaking, Wendy, I've just had two thoughts I think are worth sharing. Mm -hmm. uh, one is that the suffering that will remain uh, in the sadness of not being able to breastfeed and the sadness perhaps in your marriage um, in not having breasts as part of the experience of marital intimacy, that sadness is powerfully redemptive. And you can offer that pain, that sadness, as a prayer for all the other young people out there and older people who have had these surgeries yeah. and have not encountered Christ, have not had the grace of rediscovering their true identity in the Lord. Please uh, just consider that, learning, learning the ways of intercessory prayer. One of the greatest offerings we can make in intercessory prayer is our own pain for the sake of others. That's a powerful, powerful prayer. And I'll just share an, an image I had. You were talking about her baptism, Wendy. And I know it's not the common custom in the modern church to do full immersion baptisms, but it was in the early church. In fact, the common practice in the early church, even for adult baptism, was baptism in the nude. And I, I, I would just invite you to take this image to prayer of those baptismal waters. Just imagine a full immersion baptism mm. uh, where, where the, f the waters of baptism are washing over those scars, mm -hmm. bringing, redemptive, bringing redemption. Uh, let it be, Lord, as you desire it for this dear, dear young woman. I'm so honored that you shared your heart with us. I am so grateful to God that you have discovered our podcast, and it's been a help to you. And may I just invite all the listeners out there, please share this podcast with other people. Here's just a great example of, of how the Lord has used it in one person's life who, who so desperately needed to hear these truths. The world, the whole world, so desperately needs to hear the good news about this theology of the body that John Paul II has given us. And this podcast is just one way of, of helping get the word out. So please hit that share button and share it with friends and family and other young people who might be struggling with these questions or similar questions. It's a way we can evangelize. Absolutely. May we all know it in our bones how blessed we are to be the men and women God created us to be. May we know ever more deeply that we are a gift and we are created to be a gift and god has given us all the grace we need to become what we are ask christopher west is brought to you by the theology of the body institute with music by mike mangione 
Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.